The end of the world started when a pegasus landed on the hood of my car. Up until then, I was having a great afternoon. Welcome to Floor 600. This is a podcast where two friends, Natalie and Quinn. I shall talk like this for the rest of the episode. Read the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series by Rick Riordan. We are now reading the last book of the series, The Last Olympian. Woohoo! We're back! Yay! Should I continue to talk like this? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun for like 30 seconds. For 30 seconds? Yeah, I thought there was a limit. <laughs> <laughs> but. While we were gone on hiatus taking care of life business, Quinn developed a weird accent. <laughs> It switches on and off really easily, though. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> I feel like it would be a good voice if we were, like, just reading the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, like, my, like, that's the voice for, I don't know, Poseidon. Hello, Percy yeah. Jackson. My son. <laughs> Percy, son of Jack. <laughs> Well, well, so we have take we took a little bit of time off because we were in beta- in in between books and we could and we had life things. Yeah, it turns out applying to graduate school takes a lot of time. Yeah, and energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and getting a car is stressful. Yeah, <laughs> and your car dying repeatedly is stressful. That's very stressful. <laughs> I don't recommend dying no. on the side of the road. Many times. Yeah, yes. that's never fun. No, it isn't. But we're back. We're back. So huzzah. And guess what? We're reading The Last Olympian. The last the book, book in the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series. It's exciting. <laughs> but before we get into chapters one and two, we have some things to talk about. So welcome to our corner of Feel Famous with us. <laughs> Because yes. we got emails. Yes, we did. We got not one email, but two. Two? My friends. What are we going to do with our full e- inbox? Read them on the podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, welcome to Feel Famous With Us, our <gasps> occasional segment that Ep- appears on the episode when we have writings from listeners. <laughs> I don't know if that made any sense, but you know what I mean. Anyway, that was annoying. Our first email is from listener Fran. Hello, yeah. Fran. And we've talked a little bit on Instagram and, I don't know, have you talked on Twitter at all? I know I accidentally started talking to her on a Facebook group that we both <laughs> into where we were just sort of like, she, she put something up and I responded and then I was like, you know, took it as like an unnecessary area, like <laughs> a way to plug the podcast. And she was like, oh my God, I'm Fran. <laughs> I was like... Hi, Fran. (laughs) Yes, Fran is cool. We've talked to Fran a lot on social media. So thanks for interacting with us, Fran. And here is Fran's email. Hey, Natalie and Quinn. My name's Fran. We've chatted a few times over Instagram, and I've just been catching up with your podcast. Three episodes from being up to date. I bet she's caught up now. I bet so, too. (laughs) You both do a great job, and I enjoy listening to you both and your ideas. Thank you, Fran. As to Battle of the Labyrinth, I'm intrigued as to as to your opinions as to this book as a whole. Personally, while I love the Labyrinth mythology and Mrs. O'Leary, etc., I do love Mrs. O'Leary, 
This, I feel, is one of the weakest books of the PJO originals, which some may find strange as Sea of Monsters is usually listed as the least favorite. I was never a fan of Nico's portrayal in this book, and there were just other things that made the book feel dot 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 rushed. If you had the opportunity to, opportunity to do so, is there anything you guys would change about this book? Can't wait for more. Have a great day. Best Fran. Okay, that's like three things. So, the book as a whole, I agree. This book feels rushed. That is a thing that I thought as well. Mm-hmm. And it not only rushed, but it also feels like there's been unnecessary things added into yes. it. Yes. Most. A hundred percent. Mm-hmm. I think ju- from recalling our conversations on the Battle of the Labyrinth, something that you would change, Natalie, would... <laughs> Me? I'm guessing that you would um, remove Calypso <laughs> <laughs> and basically that entire journey. <laughs> what gave you that impression? <laughs> Maybe the anger you expressed <laughs> yeah i think that was like episode three of the battle i think so <laughs> but yeah i know i do i would at least okay the reason i didn't like calypso's thing though was because i felt like it was just dumb like there wasn't any real reason for percy to be there yeah it was just an unnecessary plot point that if it's removed, nothing to the larger scheme of things would be changed. Nothing whatsoever. And then it doesn't make sense that Percy, like, goes back to camp and they're all just there. It's like, what? What? Yeah. Annabeth is just going to give up he, on the He quest. has, like, zero consequences for yeah. disappearing for He really two weeks. doesn't. And, I mean, I guess Annabeth wouldn't have continued her quest alone. Maybe, like, she wanted to go back and get back up. But they're just like, come on, it's been two weeks. I know. So, yeah, I think if I had the opportunity to change anything, I would go back and tell Rick to take more time with this book. Mm-hmm. Because he <laughs> needed to make more sense of it. And I, I don't know if I would remove Calypso as a whole, but it, it, if you ha- go through all the trouble to get him onto this remote island... It has to have a point. Yeah, there has to be more of a point than just, like, oh, oh do I like... Oh, he a beautiful girl. Yeah, do I like Annabeth or do I like this other random woman? It, yeah. It, it, yeah. It's like... There needs to be other reasons. The suspense is fake. Like, obviously, we know he's gonna go home. Mm-hmm. It's in the middle of the book. He's huh. going back. Yeah. <laughs> he's not gonna stay on Calypso's Island, and then the rest of the series is just about Annabeth. That would be cool, though. I would read that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, as for Nico's portrayal in the book, I don't know. I like Nico. I, but I do see where he, she's coming from, because it does feel like... In this book, in, in the early books with Nico, I don't think Rick has fully fleshed out the character no. and, like, figured out all that he wants Nico to become. And I, I don't know. I, at least, I know we talked about this, I believe, in the last episode. We talked about um, Battle of the Labyrinth, that I think that the way that Nico and Annabeth interact, it feels like it, Nico is sort of flirting with Annabeth or has some oh. kind of feelings for her. 
Um, but I believe in that episode we talked about, you said that you thought it was more sisterly vibes. Yeah. And we did make a post of that, uh, or like I had that a post on Instagram where we talked about that. And there were a lot of comments that were like, I got sister vibes. So I guess I'm the odd man <laughs> thinking that Nico was flirting with Annabeth. <laughs> but whatever. Um, I mean, I, I feel like we both had like solid evidence for that though. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. We, we could both support our, our opinions yeah. with text. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I think Nico is sort of a. He's a work know. in progress. He's, He's a, a work in pro- progress in that in the Battle of the Labyrinth, and I don't think that Rick fully understood where he was taking him. I f- I do feel like Sea of Monsters is actually a stronger book than this one. For I do too. That reason, like Sea of Monsters, at least I had like, you could follow the mythology well, and you knew like. Where it was going in some way, at least in regards to, like, the adventures. And it mm-hmm. didn't feel like they went to any of those places for no reason. Yeah. And battle was just kind of, like, felt all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely agree. I think of the of the four now that we've read, I would definitely say Sea of Monsters is above Battle of the Labyrinth. Yeah. It might even be above Titan's Curse. No, actually, no, it's not. I don't know. I feel like Sea of Monsters and Titan's Curse are both really good. Mm-hmm. Lightning Thief is good, but it's still, like, got that first one vibe. Mm-hmm. And then Battle is definitely on the bottom. Yeah. It's my least favorite. I feel far. like, in my mind, Lightning Thief is sort of just honorary first. <laughs> um, it, because yeah. it, I feel like it just has to be number one. Um, but then I think... Battle, or no, I think Titan's Curse and Sea of Monsters are, like, tied for second. And then there's, oh my god, Battle of the Labyrinth. <laughs> yeah. And I haven't put Last Olympian in that list yet. Well, because... no, because we haven't read it yet. I know. <laughs> but continuing on with Feel Famous with us, let's read that other email we got. Yeah! So, we got... An email from Hilton. Hello, Hilton. Hello. <laughs> he titled his email, The Sickest Podcast Out There. Oh. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> We're pretty sick. Yeah. Hey, Natalie and Quinn. Loving the podcast so far. Thank you. I'm doing my best to catch up because I only discovered it last month. Well, I'm sure you have plenty of time. <laughs> By far one of my favorite podcasts on Spotify and you two are great fun to listen to. Aww. Especially when I'm going about my day. This pod just makes it all the more better. Aww, Especially taking you. a walk on the beach and listening to you two talk about my favorite book series. I feel like we're like <laughs> walking buddies or something. <laughs> <laughs> two questions. Are you going to be going through all Riordan series like Heroes of Olympus, Magnus Chase, and Trials of Apollo? Next question out of curiosity. If you were a demigod, who would your godly parent be? Keep up the amazing podcast, really funny and super interesting, from a big fan, Hilton Lamb from beautiful Cape Town, South Africa. Okay, the fact that he's from Cape Town makes the whole walking on the beach thing even more beautiful. I know. <laughs> it is. Oh, oh. I mean, I love the picture that he paints for us. <laughs> I 
want to go to South Africa someday. And yeah. I just think it's really cool. And now we have an audience there, so we can go there and have... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can have a meet and greet with our one our one audience member. <laughs> can you imagine flying all the way to South Africa? <laughs> Maybe there's other people you don't know. Maybe. I just think it's awesome that... Okay, by the way, I forgot to mention, Fran is from England. I don't know where Fran lives in England. I know that she's, like, in the area, like, she can take a train and easily get to London. So. Cambridge, maybe. Yeah. I think she actually, <laughs> no, no, she told me. Oh. Oxford. She lives in Oxford. Oh. Yeah. So we got a, an email from Oxford, England, and an email from Cape Town, South Africa. If you're not from Oxford, I'm sorry. <laughs> he also put a fire emoji because it's lit. Yep. So, question one. Yes, we are planning on reading through all of the Riordan book series. Um, we, I believe the next one we, we've sort of loosely settled on is... Did we? I don't know. I don't know. We change our mind a lot here yeah, like, at Floor 600. <laughs> Every time we talk about it, we have a different Opinion. decision. Yeah. Um, I think we kind of loosely decided on Heroes of Olympus, right? Oh, I thought we decided on Kane Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those two. No, it's... no, no, you're right. It was Kane Chronicles. So we're reading the Kane Chronicles next. You heard it here first, folks. That's <laughs> Probably it. here like third, actually. <laughs> oh, this is, this is the official decision, so thank you, Hilton. For making us make this decision. <laughs> if um, we change this decision later, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're going to read all those books. It's going to be a while. Because <laughs> with everything, it, it takes time. <laughs> yes. And I'm going to be moving in the next six months. Yeah. So we're so going to have to figure that out. So yeah, bear with there's, us, friends. There's things coming ahead. <laughs> so coming ahead. I don't know what that means, but whatever. Coming in the near future. Yes. <laughs> Things are changing. Yep. <laughs> okay. But as my eighth grade English teacher once said, the only constant in life is change. Who was your teacher? Mr. Norris. Okay. Yeah. I, I remember I had him, but I think it was for like study hall. So we only just like awkwardly read in front of him. <laughs> That's a good thing to do with him. Okay. Next question out of curiosity. If you were a demigod, who would your godly parents be? We okay. have been keeping this on the DL. Have we? Is it like on, know, an on purpose D at DL? I think it's just sort of <laughs> something that hasn't come up in conversation I, yet. <laughs> I wanted to make like a fun reveal oh. of it for one of like our big milestone things, but then we forgot to do it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like we do with a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we ain't perfect. <laughs> Should we answer the question then? Here and now? In this dramatic way? <laughs> sure. Okay. <laughs> so according to the Riordan quizzes, like the stuff on his website. Which is the official one. Yeah. I believe, what, what oh, I was a child with of Poseidon. And Natalie. I am a child of Athena. I don't think there's... <laughs> Any surprise. I, when you told me that you were a child of Athena, I was like, of course you are. Like, like why are you guessing? <laughs> I'm also a Ravenclaw. 
Yeah, so she's, like, really out there, like, she's in the smart club, in every club, in every school she goes to. <laughs> I'm I a Slytherin, by deny the way. It. <laughs> Snakes? What? <laughs> I mean, they're sea snakes. Yeah, but there's also land snakes. Yeah, but you could argue that there's water <laughs> connection there. Yeah. I mean, the well, okay, Chamber of here. Secrets is in a toilet. Or the common room is under the lake. See? Yep. Because I do, like, I think the, like, one of the questions I think I went on the Pottymore quiz was, like, do you want to go to the lake or do you want to go to the woods? And I was, like, water. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I thought it was cool after we took the test that it was Poseidon and Athena. I know. (laughs) (laughs) We're the friendship that's in this tea in the the book. (sighs) Yeah. Yep. And then I had, um... Jude and Isaac do it. Yeah. That's uh, her nephews. Yes. They are 10 and 9 years old, and Jude got Poseidon, and Isaac got Artemis. Good. Yeah. I like that (laughs) Isaac got Artemis. I know. I was like, is he going to get Athena? But I wasn't, like, guiding him on the questions. I just had to tell him what some of the words meant. (laughs) I was like, pick that one. (laughs) And then he was just, like, doing it himself, and I was like, Really curious as to what they're going to get. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait fun. for my, like, niece and nephew to get old enough so yeah. like, I can, like, start influencing their, Induct like, reading them. choices. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Huzzah. Ha ha ha. Thank you for writing Hilton from beautiful Cape Town, South Africa. Oh, we were so excited to see the email. <laughs> I want to go someday. And thank you for writing Fran from, I'm assuming, beautiful Oxford, England. Yes. Have you ever been to Oxford? No, I haven't. Oh. I, I studied in Cambridge for a semester, and that's clo- that, it, that's as close as you got. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I, I probably got closer somewhere. by, like, moving around other parts of England. I probably went <laughs> by Oxford at one point and was like, hey, look, what's that? Well, I know you guys, like, did some excursions together as a class, so mm-hmm. I didn't know if you went there. We did do excursions. We didn't get there, though. I think oh. my, like, my professor didn't like Oxford. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not a superior university to Cambridge. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, are you ready to get into the last Olympian? I'm sort of scared, but let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still dreaming about England. All right. Chapter one. <laughs> I go cruising with explosives. Four star. I believe I gave that four stars as well. <gasps> nice starting off on a good note. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wanted to sort of just briefly mention that in my book, there's a map. Nice. A battle map of Manhattan. Yeah, we get the battle of Manhattan in, uh, in a map form. And I like maps. So it's exciting. It's like, oh, excited. Yeah, that map is really cool. I have mine on my Kindle, unfortunately, so I don't think it has a map. Mm-mm. No, it does not. Sometimes they scan in, like, the pictures, though. Yeah. Nope, it just has the cover. Bummer, dude. I also have the... I, this is, like, the new audiobook version, though, so... You know, mean yeah. the new or, um, Kindle, Kindle version? version. Yeah, not the audiobook. <laughs> there is no new audiobook. No. I checked. <laughs> Although... 
I was listening to this on YouTube on the illegal recordings of it. <laughs> and can we just stop? Stop giving people accents. Yes. Because I was listening to this on, on my way here because I was like, I haven't read these <laughs> chapters in weeks. Uh, and the accent for Ethan Nakamura is the most insulting thing <laughs> I have ever heard. And I, I know. Uh, we talked about this in Mrs. Chase. We've talked about it before. Stop doing it. Stop. Especially if the character is not explicitly said they have an accent. Stop assuming accents. There was, okay, I don't remember who it was now because I listened to it a while ago. But they did a terrible accent for Ethan and then they did another terrible accent for somebody else. And I was just like, yeah, stop doing it. Yeah. And, like, the voice that the guy did for Charles Beckendorf was a bit risky, risque. I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, what? Huh? <laughs> yeah. And it's not, okay, it's not the wanting to give them an accent. To different, like, I understand, like, giving them like, a different voice. Yeah. You don't have to go in the direction <laughs> that you go. <laughs> because it turns out, like, okay. People without an Asian accent, and I use Asian broadly because it's a big place, okay? And trying to do one usually just turns out you sounding like you're making a caricature of the Asian character, and you sound like jerks, so stop doing it. Yep. It's yep. just, uh, it's just, <laughs> so We many. don't even know if Ethan or Mrs. Chase have accents. I know! And I feel like they're only assuming it because they're Asian. I know! Stop! Stop it! It's, it's literally, it like, ma it makes me cringe Ugh. every single time. If you do have one, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not what no. we're trying to say. We're no. trying to say you sound like an idiot if you try to make one. I, like, I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. You don't gotta do it. Like, <laughs> there's so many, like, all right. Um, I'm trying to think of a book that has a lot of different characters, and they do not go into the Asian accent zone. Um, I believe even the book The Crazy Rich Asians <laughs> does not have offensive Asian accents with by done by the narrator. <laughs> I that was a great movie, by the way. I love that movie. It's also a very good book. I haven't read it, but I probably should. But if you feel that we are getting this whole thing wrong, let us know. But I don't feel like we are. Yeah. So, actually talking about this book. <laughs> the start of this book is... Weird. One year minus a week after the Battle of the Labyrinth. Yeah, we miss a whole year of Percy's life. Yeah. Minus a week. <laughs> it's so weird. When I started this book, I was like... What? Yeah. <laughs> I sort of like it because it's a, because he does give you a recap of like what's been happening in the past year and Yeah. I'm okay with missing it. Because it was just a Not whole bunch of happened. like random monster fighting every once in a while, bomb a bus full of uh, monsters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's 
kind of like, oh, conveniently, nothing big has happened for a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, probably because they ha- know that the- everybody knows that the deadline is Percy's 16th birthday, including Kronos. So he served us like, might as well just build my army until yeah. the last minute. <laughs> They're all cramming for that test. Yeah. That is. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Percy is turning 16 in exactly one week, which means a few things. One, the prophecy will come to fruition in one week. Percy will be able to get his driver's license soon, assuming that he doesn't die. Uh, we missed a whole year of his life, and Kronos and his army have been getting stronger this whole time. Yes. Yikes, that's Hopefully, the camp has too. Yeah, hopefully. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Paul let Percy borrow his Prius. <laughs> I put... LOL, Paul's a Prius guy. (laughs) And take Rachel for a drive on the beach on the South Shore. Uh, I don't know what that is. Jersey? (laughs) Right? Isn't that, like, where Jersey Shore is? South Shore? I don't know. I think that, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, And during this drive, Percy's just thinking about how nice Rachel looks. Aww. And he thinks that she looks like a million golden drachma. Aww. <laughs> so I guess our theory that Percy doesn't really think about Rachel that way is not always accurate. I think he is now thinking about Rachel in that way. Yep. But I still don't think he's like, he, I think, I feel like he recognizes that, oh yeah, Rachel's like really pretty. Really pretty. That doesn't mean that she's prettier than Annabeth. True. <laughs> just saying <laughs> so they parked the car and they're sitting overlooking the atlantic and rachel brings up the invitation that she has given to percy to join her and her family at their vacation house in saint thomas for three days which is part of the u.s virgin islands yep sounds fabulous one of my dad's friends from college lives on the virgin islands nice yeah or not the virgin Islands on saint thomas specifically he um. lives on all of the Virgin Islands at once. <laughs> yes. Um, but his daughter now goes to school in Chicago. And, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Oh, yeah. Marina. Yeah. Nice. Um, so Percy wants to go on this trip, or at least he tells Rachel that he wants to go. But he's kind of like on call for this battle. Yeah, there's <laughs> no way that he can go on this trip. <laughs> I'm like, when is he? When are they leaving? Are they leaving before his birthday or after his birthday? <laughs> Aren't they leaving before? Oh my god, you gotta kid me! <laughs> my Kindle just started updating. Oh it's god. on a cord, so hopefully, I don't need to reference anything. Okay, <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, it's for only for, also. Who goes on vacation for only three days? That is sort of strange. When it's that far. Yeah. Like, I'll go to Milwaukee for three days, but that's like two hours away. <laughs> yeah. That's more than two hours away, isn't it? Two and it? a half. Two and a half. Right. Um, I don't know. Three, maybe? Yeah. Three days just seems like a, a really short and disappointing vacation, because as soon as you get into the mindset of, oh my god, I'm on vacation, you gotta leave. Yeah, because it's like... Like, day one has spent half traveling. Then, yeah. Then you finally get there and you unpack and you sleep. And you wake up in the morning and you're, like, still a little bit, like, time-zoned out. Uh, and then 
you got to still manage to do something on that second day because that's really the only day of your vacation. Yeah. And then the day three, you're packing and getting ready and moving and going your again. Your still wet. Yeah. yeah. It's not even fun. It's a disappointing <laughs> three-day vacation. Especially if you're rich. Like, they would go for realistically at least an entire week. I guess maybe rich vacations are different than poor pr- vacations. <laughs> Because they're rich, they might have, like, a private jet and stuff, oh. so they don't have to deal with, like, security and getting to the airport four hours ahead of time. Maybe it's really going to be a five-day trip, and they're traveling on day one and day five, so they have three whole days in the middle. Maybe. <laughs> we don't know much about this vacation that he's not even going to go on. <laughs> Rachel, can we get some more details, please? <laughs> But anyway, as Rachel points out, it's always a bad time for Percy, so he might as well just go. Seize the day. My argument is it's easier if he's in New York City than if he's on an island. (laughs) Although technically, Manhattan's an island. But he can travel very fast by water, so maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But then how would Rachel explain to her father that Percy just disappeared? Wait, and also, her father is planning on flying to the ver- to St. Thomas, so Percy would fly. have to fly with them. How's he going to get there? He, Percy's not going on this no. vacation. I don't know where, <laughs> in, where uh, Rachel's getting this idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he would have to, like, swim there. <laughs> um, I wonder how far it is from uh, St. Thomas to Manhattan. NYC, not Kansas. Is it Manhattan, Kansas? Yeah. (laughs) Apparently it's called the Little Apple. (laughs) 10 hour flight. Wow. Oh, this one has two stops. Oh. So, assuming that there's not two stops, it's probably like eight hours. Yeah, probably. Sure. Anyway. Yeah, he, there's no way Percy's flying 10 hours through the air in an airplane. Nope. And Rachel's father is trying to get her to go to Clarion Ladies Academy, which is a prep school in New Hampshire. And I don't know why I gave that weird English accent. Because they're New Hampshireans. (laughs) In New England. Yep. New Englanders. So, basically, he's being, like, disgustingly nice to her to get her to agree to it because he wants her out of his hands, essentially, because he's, like, the worst person ever. And Rachel tells Percy that there's something she wants to talk about, but it can wait until later. And I'm like, she literally knows that he there could is die. There is no later. <laughs> he could literally die tomorrow. And yep. she's not going to say what she wants to say to him. Mm-hmm. Come Rachel. Drive me cray. Rachel Elizabeth Dare. And she says to Percy, what would it take to get the stupid guy to kiss the girl, huh? And Percy's just like, huh? what? And he's literally saved by a Pegasus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love his line. I felt like one of Apollo's sacred cows. Slow, dumb, and bright red. <laughs> <laughs> But before Percy can make a decision about what to do, they hear a huge whomp whomp crunch. And Blackjack the Pegasus lands on the hood of Paul's poor little Prius. It only, like, gave, like, a few hoof marks. Yeah. 
<laughs> and on Blackjack's back is Charles Beckendorf, who I love so much. <laughs> Senior counselor of the Hephaestus cabin. He treats Tyson so well. I love Beckendorf. He has my heart. I gave him a little green heart. And this is the first time in a long time they've gotten such a good description of Beckendorf, and it's, like, super in-depth. Yeah. I really like it. Mm -hmm. And let's see if I can pull it up on my Kindle now, because it's done. Or I can give you an actual book. He, thank you, he was huge, with ripped muscles from working on the forges every summer, two years older than me, and one of the camp's best armorsmiths. He made some seriously ingenious mechanical stuff. A month before, he'd rigged a Greek firebomb in the bathroom of a tour bus that was carrying a bunch of monsters across country. The explosion took out a whole legion of Kronos' evil meanies as soon as the first harpy went flush. Beckendorf was dressed for combat. He wore a bronze breastplate and wore a helm with black camo pants and a sword strapped to his side. His explosives bag was slung over his shoulder. Time, I asked. He nodded grimly. I don't know. I just love Beckendorf. Yeah. He just seems <laughs> like someone who has their stuff together and he can take care of business and he's also very, very nice. Yes. And, He yeah. cool. He cool. And he dating Selena. Yeah. So he's actually that. Like. I really like <laughs> that Percy's just like, yeah, he's finally dating Selena. <laughs> like, we've been thinking about it forever. And it's like, Percy, <laughs> that's literally the exact same way that people think about you and Annabeth. Like, it's so <laughs> funny. Because he, they're like, after a whole summer of the camp saying, duh, it's like, <laughs> It's like crazy people have said that for like (laughs) five years. (laughs) I know, it's like cereal. Come on. So Beckendorf says to Rachel, um, Percy's told me, uh, I mean, he mentioned. (laughs) And Rachel is just like, "Mm mm-hmm. And she agrees to tell Sally, Queen Sally, where Percy went and attempt to explain to Paul about what happened to his car. Well, doesn't Paul know about the mythological creatures now? Because they said to talk, told him about Poseidon. No, but... No, they didn't. No, they Remember didn't. at the end of oh, they still... Battle, when Percy's like, I'm going to tell Paul, but not mm. right now. Mm. Now is not the time. And they tell him that Poseidon left via fire escape. They need to <laughs> tell Paul the truth! I don't think he tells Paul the truth until the end of this book. Because... Break his mind. Because Paul's like, Percy, where have you been? And they tell him. Okay. I think. So he right at this point he's still in the in the blinds and now or in the dark. So now when in the, Ra- blinds. In the blinds. So when Rachel's is like, Here's your Prius, it has four suspicious hoof marks on the roof. <laughs> but don't think much about that. Yeah, maybe she just tells him they drove by some rocks. I don't know, are there rocks? Or on maybe beach? there was like wild horses on the beach and they yeah. ran over the house or the house, the car, <laughs> and kidnapped Percy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe the miss is going to help him out, you know? Yeah. Who knows? But she kisses Percy goodbye and tells him good luck and calls him half blood, which is not creative. Was it kiss was it a kiss on the cheek or in the mouth? Kiss Rachel. Good luck. Rachel kissed me before I could even react. Now get going, Half-Blood. Go kill some monsters for me. So, so they don't distinguish whether it's a cheek kiss or mouth kiss. The non-distinguishing makes me think it was a mouth kiss. Mm. <laughs> okay. 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 So Percy's just getting all kinds of kisses up in here. Yep. 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 
<laughs> and as Percy and Beckendorf fly off on Blackjack, Beck asks if Percy doesn't want him to mention that little scene to Annabeth, to which Percy responds, oh, gods, don't even think about it. Not that Beckendorf's gonna have a chance! Hey, don't be mean. <laughs> Beckendorf and Percy fly on Black Jack across the Atlantic to the Princess Andromeda, Luke slash Kronos's cursed monster-bearing ship of the devils. Okay. <laughs> And Beckendorf and Percy have rehearsed this mission using abandoned yachts in New Jersey at some dock, so they both know what to do. And at first I was like, why is it so imperative that Percy be part of this plan? But then I realized it's because they were going to use Percy's water powers to escape. So, Blackjack <laughs> drops them off on the lowest stern deck, and Beckendorf just like, takes a moment to pull a picture of Selena Beauregard out of his pocket and admire her and then put it away. <laughs> and Percy's like, don't worry, you'll get, you'll see her again. Oh, sadness. Percy and Beckendorf head toward the service stairwell, um, but they hear Telkini horse voices. Telkini? Or Telkini? Telkini horses is what I said. Telkini voices arguing over whether or not they're actually half-bloods on board or if it's just a meatloaf sandwich they're smelling. Well, wh okay, so I wanted to sort of highlight what the telekahines, or however you say it, says. So, like, one says, like, oh, the last time you smelled half-blood, it turned out to be a meatloaf sandwich. And then the guy says, like, meatloaf sandwiches are good. A second voice snarled. But this is a half-blood scent, I swear. They are on board. So by saying they are on board, I already get the vibe that the monsters are expecting half-bloods to yep. come on board. They'd be prepared. Yeah. <sighs> That's not good. So Beckendorf and Percy head down to the engine room. They split the bolt. There are a bunch of turbines and, like, a control panel and a telkeen that Percy quickly dispatches. They start attaching some jars full of Greek fire to, like, the different services in the room so Beckendorf can rate them as explosives and detonate the whole ship. Going down, baby. Yep. But before they can finish their work, they hear the sound of a dozen monsters heading down the stairs right toward them. And Percy decides that he will run ahead and distract them so Beckendorf can, con can continue to rig the explosives. Which is partly Percy's natural impulsiveness and partly a good idea. Yeah. So he runs through the group of telekines on the stairs like they're made of butter, slice and left and right. But he leaves one alive, partly because he has a cool lunchbox. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> and partly because he wants him, it, to raise the alarm about him running through the ship. Yeah. And so he runs through the hallways, and they're all torn up and disgusting now. Like, they're not... Like, the ship was once a glamorous place. Mm -hmm. and now it is just not. Yeah, his monsters have been living in it for now, what, three years? Yeah. Four years? At least. Yeah. And there are no more, like, tourists on the ship that... Because Luke used to have the tourists on there to, like, mask the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and Percy wonders and then realizes he doesn't want to know... What happened to them? Yeah, because he—they're probably—they probably weren't allowed to go home with their winnings from the casino. No, they probably got eaten. And so Percy don't go on cruise ships. 
That's the rule. Uh, yeah, especially right now. Percy runs into a giant crab and has to fight it. He runs into some Dracane and throws a model of the yacht at her. And then the saddest part of all of this is him running into a 12-year-old demigod on the stairs. Mm-hmm. And the kid just, like, gets scared, and Percy fights him and then throws him down the stairs. And he's like, if you want to survive, get off the ship right now. Yeah. How they're supposed to do that, I have no idea, because they're in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> I Yeah, it, it, it was sort of a flawed idea, but it's a good, it's a good, he tried. hearted, yeah, Maybe attempt. Maybe it was an escape, escape pod. Yeah. Maybe. I, I yeah. Will. Hopefully. And maybe they're, like, a demigod on board with a power that can help them escape. Yeah. You never know. But honestly, but also, like, even if they did escape, just because Percy saved one of them does not mean they're all going to just automatically switch sides. No. These guys, unfortunately, are being indoctrinated into a bad crowd. Yeah. I think it's just, like, demigods that... Luke and his buddies got to before, yeah. like, Chiron could. Mm-hmm. So, but, like, yeah, it's like, if Percy had been picked up first by someone who was, like, if it was, like, one of, like, Luke or his minions or whatever, right. and told, oh, well, your dad's Poseidon, he's a god, he left your mom, he is terrible. Doesn't pay child um, support. He doesn't pay child support. Uh, he is one of many gods who don't pay child support. Yeah. We should overthrow them. I am positive that Percy would have been like, all right, yeah. sure. So if you grow up, you know, or, like, that's your first introduction to something, that's all the only way you know it, then yeah. it, you're not going to suddenly switch when somebody's like, no, dude, the gods are good. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it takes more than one person saying that your entire way of thinking is incorrect. <laughs> yeah. You don't just suddenly be like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Lol. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. Nope. <laughs> so finally, Percy bursts out onto the main deck by the swimming pool, and he heads toward the rendezvous point where he's supposed to meet Beckendorf. So they can both jump off the ship together into the sea um, and be protected by Percy's water powers. He, Percy gets interrupted by Kronos. Well, wasn't he first interrupted by a crab? We already talked about that. We did not talk about the giant crab coming to attack him. I said Percy runs into a giant crab and has to fight it. What else do you need to say about the giant crab? So much about the giant crab. You have things to say about the giant crab? Yeah. Then say them. It's a giant crab. <laughs> Who cares? It's just a fight. Ah! But, like, <laughs> I, I really do... I, I enjoyed the fact that he was just like, oh, yeah, I think I remember something about the myth that, like, Hercules smushed it with his foot. <laughs> and he's like, my... It's not gonna work that way. And he thinks, like, oh, Paul taught me last summer or something like that that there's a weak point of the crab shell that's on his belly. And he, oh, so he yeah. uses... Knowledge not learned by uh, training at camp or talking with like Annabeth about myths of <laughs> your lore. Um, he learned it just by like 
I don't know. Talking to Paul. Talking to Paul and realizing <laughs> that, oh, this is just a giant version of a crab. I can use the same processes that you would defeat a normal crab with this. That's true. I enjoyed that. <laughs> See? Things to talk about, about giant crabs. Yeah. That is cute because, it, like, last Christmas it says they go down to their cabin at Montauk and Paul takes some crabbing. Mm-hmm. I guess it's cute that he has, like, an active father figure now. I know. It's nice. It's really nice. <laughs> and also, it made me think of... I I was picturing Percy fighting uh, the giant crab from Moana, Tematoa. <laughs> and then I, Tematoa. And then I got into, a, like, just, like, a mind, like, rabbit hole of, like, oh, maybe Rick will make a book on the... Um, oh, my gosh. What's the word? What am I thinking of? Hawaiian myths. What's the... Oh, I know what you're trying to think of. Maori. Is that right? Maori? That's his name. Tematoa. (laughs) In Hawaiian mythology, there are two main goddesses worshipped in the temples. Kahawahin and Haumea. Ohia and Lahua were young lovers, but one day Peli met Ohia. That doesn't have anything to do with it. What is it called? Polynesian. Is that what you're trying to say? Maybe. Polynesian myth? Yeah, Polynesian. Pahoa? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, <laughs> Samoan. Samoan? Yeah. Isn't that a Native American? Native, like, Hawaiian. Oh. Anyway, I would totes read a book series on Hawaiian mythology. That'd be cool. I know. Or Polynesian mythology or Samoan mythology or Maori mythology. They're all cool. <laughs> Well, I feel like I don't really know much about Hawaii, and it would be fun. I know. I There's a series called The Almighty Johnsons. That's a New, New Zealand series. Um, and it's like the, uh, the Vikings are reborn what? every generation. Like, you... When you turn, I don't know, I think it's, like, 21, they become, you become a god. And, like, so there's, like, this whole family of Norse gods. And, like, there's, like, Odin and uh, whatever. There's a whole bunch of them. And it's a really fun, silly show. But in the later seasons, because they are in uh, New Zealand, they introduce Maori gods. Cool. It's really cool. Judah was born in Hawaii. Really? Cool. I feel like we've talked a lot about Judah and Isaac today. It's because they're awesome, and I love them. <laughs> and they need to read these books. They do. Also, I was at the Field Museum, and uh, they had a, they have a bug exhibit there right now. It's really mm-hmm. cool. And there's a thing about Native New Zealanders, and they were talking about, like, the plant life and bug life. And it was, like, something like 90% of insects in New Zealand and 80% of plants cannot be found anywhere else in the world. Wow, that's really cool. Isn't that cool? cool? Yeah. So I know that there's like an island off of New Zealand that when it was first, um, I don't know, it, it was uninhabited by human population for thousands and thousands of years. Wow. And then, um, in the 1800s or something like, I don't remember the exact year, they stationed, like the British stationed a lighthouse keeper there and it was the lighthouse keeper and his pet cat <laughs> and there was a whole population of like these like amazing like birds in this area and he noticed every day like as cats do they bring presents 
and the, he was noticed that the presents that he was bringing were a species of bird that he had never seen before. So he took one of the birds that the cat gave him, and he shipped it uh, to England to, and said, like, hey, I think this is a new bird. Is What's up with this? And by the time he got a letter back saying, congratulations, you've discovered a new species of bird, what do you want to name it? He had to send a message back saying, sorry, my cat killed them all. <sighs> They're extinct. So by the time it was deemed Aww. a official new species, it was already extinct. That's so sad. I know. This is a very internationally focused episode of Floor 6. I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. Going backward, back to the crab conversation. <laughs> Giant crab, you have anything to say about him throwing a model of a yacht at the Dracana? No, not really. Okay, we already talked about the kid. Okay, so <laughs> now he's fighting Kronos slash Luke. Kronos hyphen Luke. And Kronos tells him, Percy that they've been expecting him for weeks. 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 That's not good. That means that there's a spy amongst them. Somehow yes. someone know they know. But might also, if they've been expecting them for weeks, maybe the spy did something to stall the um, mission. To, like, give them the wrong time. Yes. <laughs> or, like, maybe they wanted to protect the people who were going on the mission. And they were like, don't go, don't go. Yeah, well, I'm assuming it's a girl. Mm-hmm. Because he shows a bracelet, a silver bracelet with a silver scythe charm on it. Mm-hmm. But, I could be wrong, but <laughs> given the time period, I'm assuming it's a very feminine-looking charm bracelet. Yeah. So, basically, Percy is trapped between Kronos, Hyphen, Luke, and his army, because the monsters all have him surrounded, so his fight-or-flight instincts kick in. Good. And he's like, well, I have to fight Kronos at some point. Might as well just do it right now. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Which is true, but, like, I, I put a note that's like, does he really have to do it while he's trapped in the middle of the ocean? But then I'm like, well, maybe that's actually a good place for him to do it because he can yeah. just yeet himself yeah. off the side of the ship. Mm -hmm. He'll be fine. Yeah. I guess it's a it's a nice, I guess, testing ground because yeah. he, he can swing a few blows, but yeah. there's an easy escape. Jump off the very tall cruise ship yeah. into the ocean. <laughs> he has to fight through Kronos' time magic by summoning the power of the sea. But Kronos still shaves him with his scythe, yeah. and the pain of it is way worse than it be, because it should be, because it's such a tiny little cut, but it, like, you know, as the Telkahin says, one cut will separate your soul from your body. So he's, like, suffering high key. I do sort of just want to talk about this um, part. It says, or he says, um, I struck at Kronos, but I was too slow. I made the mistake of looking at his face, Luke's face, a guy who was once my friend. As much as I hated him, it was hard to kill him. So hard does not mean impossible. impossible. <laughs> but his sword does bounce right off him. So. It, it, it doesn't really matter, but still. He, he... 
Yeah. I I think it's interesting that he does have these moments of where he takes a pause and he's like, is Luke still in there? Yeah. But at the same time, he's very much just like... Luke's not in there. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, kill what... Do what has to be done. Let's yeah. kill him. But then, also, it's Luke. <laughs> yeah, but he knows, like, in his brain that it's Kronos, but his heart is telling him, like, Luke's still in there mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. Luke's still in there. Also, that nagging voice of Annabeth is, I'm sure if Percy killed Kronos slash Luke right now, Annabeth <laughs> would never speak to him ever again. <laughs> Which, I mean, come on. Annabeth needs to get over it. Does she, though? They have to kill Kronos. (laughs) It's not her... Luke's the one who was like, I'm gonna be evil now. That's true. He's on the worst. (laughs) So, Kronos calls Ethan Nakamura forward, and he arrives with two Lystragonian giants who are carrying Beckendorf between them. And Beckendorf is all bruised up and battered, and his armor's half gone, and... He silently, like, makes a signal at Percy toward his watch, because his watch is the detonator for the Greek fire. So Percy's like, oh, no, like, we can still do it, but how am I going to get back and forth out of here? But Ethan is pretty dumb. Well, <laughs> I don't know if it's Ethan that's dumb or the... Giants? Or the monsters, Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, because you would think Ethan would have been like, mm, you should probably check the engine room anyway, considering you saw Percy come out of there. Yeah. But basically, Beckendorf filled his bag with cans of peaches, left the engine room, and when he was captured, he told them that he was still heading toward the engine room, and they were just like, that makes sense. <laughs> what? No, it doesn't. So, Beck managed to get all the Greek fire rigged up, because he's awesome. Good. And... This is when Kronos shows Percy the silver bracelet with a scythe charm, and it's obviously some kind of communication device, and he's like, you can't count on your friends, they will always let you down. Who let him down? This time. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because it's a friend. I know. But like, okay, Annabeth never let Luke down. Percy never let Luke down. Anybody that I know that Luke has interacted with on ca- at the camp has not let him down. Maybe Chiron, because he <laughs> lets everybody down in some yeah. ways. True. Um, but yeah, I don't think I know one of his friends that have left him down. Family members? It's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, who of Percy's friends at this point would do something like that? You know? Yeah. I don't know. It's just all a lot of stress and a lot of unanswered questions right now because Beckendorf reaches for the watch. Yes. And... He reaches for his watch and the monsters are like, what is he doing? And he detonates all of the Greek fire using the watch, which the monsters didn't pay any attention to it because his watch... And Percy throws Riptide at Kronos, startling him enough to slip past him and leap off the side of the ship as the explosion starts rumbling through the whole ship. Percy hits the water, but he still gets an arrow in the thigh, and he wills the current to take him far away, but the heat and, like, the impact of this massive explosion still Mm -hmm. hit him through the waves, and he blacks out and sinks toward the bottom of the sea. 
Yes. And now, chapter two. I meet some fishy relatives. I gave that four stars because they're fishy. And the last time he met a relative, it was Tyson. And I like Tyson. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, 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 yes. I forgot how we did this for a second. I gave that five stars because also I feel like Percy's fishy relatives. <laughs> relatives uh, related to uh, related to Percy on Poseidon's side are yes. always interesting. This chapter starts with a dream sequence. As always. I'm so sick of dream sequences. That's <laughs> another thing about freaking Battle of a Labyrinth. There's like 500 of them. <laughs> I'm not so sick of it. So this time, Percy dreams that he's at the Titan's Palace on top of Mount Tamalpay, a.k.a. Mount Othrys. Atlas is still holding up the sky because it serves him right and nobody wants to take the burden from him, lol. There are two other giant men standing around a fire, staring at the flames that are making, like, these creepy images and stuff. One is Creos, who wears black armor with silver dots and a helmet with ram's horns on it. And the other guy is not named, but he is dressed all in gold and has golden eyes like Kronos. And he reminded Percy of Apollo. Yeah, because he's like the sun. So they're talking about the explosion of the princess Andromeda and saying it doesn't matter because the gods have answered the challenge and will soon be destroyed. And Golden Boy <laughs> tells Creos to stay there and guard Mount Othrys while he heads off east to rally the troops. And Creo says that their treacherous nephew in the tuxedo won't be much help in a fight. And who is that? I don't know. <laughs> but Creos is not happy about having to stay and babysit Atlas. And Golden Boy is just like, peace. And then <laughs> Dream changes and this time Percy starts seeing Nico. Mm -hmm. Yay, I love Nico. <laughs> and Nico has the same ability as Bianca to control dreams, apparently. And he, like, looks straight at Percy and he's like... Do you really think you can defeat them without my plan, Percy? And we don't know what per or Nico's plan is, so that's more right. dun dun dun. Yeah. So, because the last we heard about Nico's plan was when Nico went and ate blue birthday cake. Yep. A year. Yeah, and he was like ago. going <laughs> to say or like what he was about to tell Percy the plan, and then see you next time. Got distracted by blue birthday cake, which honestly, can you blame him? No. And so Percy wakes up and sees none other than everyone's favorite Cyclops, Tyson. Hurrah! Good old lovely Tyson has been taking care of Percy in Poseidon's underwater palace, which is a really cool place. It's like his bed's made of sea kelp and it's panel of abalone, just like his cabin at camp. There are hammerhead sharks and other sea creatures just drifting through the room, which would be scary. <laughs> and his wounds are healed, but he still feels like he got shot and blown up. Yeah, he <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't feel great, but Tyson tells him that there's no sign of Beckendorf, which makes me want to cry a million tears because I love Beckendorf, as we just discussed a lot. And <laughs> Beckendorf was supposed to go to college. Yeah, he had like a lot of things going for him. And mm -hmm. Not anymore. Yeah, so. It's really sad. It is really sad. Percy has this whole like reflection and how much of a tragedy it is that they lost Beckendorf. And it's just like, ugh, sadness. I stared out the window into the deep blue water. Beckendorf was supposed to go to college in the fall. He had a girlfriend, lots of friends, his whole life ahead of him. He couldn't be gone. 
Maybe he'd fallen off the ship, like I had. Maybe he'd jump over the side. And what? He couldn't have survived a hundred-foot fall into the water, like I could. He couldn't have put enough distance between himself and the explosion. I knew in my gut he was dead. He'd sacrificed himself to take out the Princess Andromeda. And I had abandoned him. He didn't really abandon him. He saved his own life. I know. There wasn't really a way for him to get to Beckendorf to get him off the ship. And it seemed by Beckendorf's actions, he knew what was he, he was doing. And that of course he did. just makes it sort of harder, almost. He sacrificed himself for the cause, but uh-huh. also just for Percy. Well, I mean, Beckendorf knows about the prophecy, right? Yeah. So he's probably like, Percy's got some big things to take care of, and I can blow this stuff up. Mm-hmm. So that's what he does. Yeah. It's it's sad, it's tragic, but... You know what kind of bugs me? I though? don't know if there was any other way around it. There probably wasn't. It bugs me when people are like, oh, he had a girlfriend and friends, so it makes it sadder as if somebody dying without yeah. friends isn't sad <laughs> i know that's <laughs> like, that's almost worse cuz then they like die alone in their apartment and mm-hmm. aren't found for months yeah it's sad or like i would i would hate to be found by a neighbor that would Ugh. just be like awful like you're putting that onto the random person that's coming over to your house i mean they didn't necessarily do it on purpose. But. No, still, <laughs> I think there's an episode of Thirty Rock where she just like where Liz is talking talking about being single and living on her own, and she's just like, "My greatest fear is choking to death in my apartment." <laughs> but yeah, it would be sad, sad all around. But enough on that. So there's an explosion outside the palace somewhere. And Tyson informs Percy that Poseidon is blowing up monsters, which is (laughs) always good, and takes him to Poseidon through the palace. So, the palace is as big as Mount Olympus, which is huge. Yeah. I mean, imagine the whole span of the ocean and being able to, like, take as much as you want of it, essentially. Mm -hmm. And there's gardens and courtyards and sea plants and creatures swimming around, and it's just beautiful. But, how do they see um, fish eyes. Fish like, can see underwater. <laughs> but, like, when you're on the bottom of the ocean, it's, like, pitch black. Maybe because, um, I don't know. <laughs> Magic. <laughs> they have, um, phosphorescent fish that Maybe it's, like, not as, as far down as... Or maybe just because they're used to living on the bottom of the ocean, they have adapted to. Yeah, being but able Percy's not. But he's a son of Poseidon. True. I watched a documentary on the Marianas Trench once, mm-hmm. and it was insane. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, Percy does mention that, like being that far down, he shouldn't be able to see anything. I know that there's a lake in the middle him. of the ocean. They know that there's like a lake in the middle of the ocean. It's a different. Like, the water is of a different density in this part, (laughs) and, like, it kills everything that's in it. It's, like, there's, it's just a whole bunch of, like, crab skeletons and stuff that are around it. Because if something goes in there, it's not coming out. 
strange. The ocean's a crazy place. It really is so cool. But, yeah, Percy's like, um, a regular person would have been crushed by the pressure and frozen by the cold. Even my heat-sensitive eyes couldn't make out exactly what was going on. Okay, so he can't make out what exactly is going on <laughs> either. I love how I ask a question and then find the answer to it in the text. <laughs> Read, Natalie. Per <laughs> there are warriors preparing for battle. Mermen, armed and dangerous, with sharpened teeth and bright eyes. Real merpeople, not the disenfied crap that people try to pass as merpeople. Yes. They scary. They're, like, green and blue and shark teeth and, like, shark tails. Legit. They're legit mermaids. They're not any, like, little mermaid type mermaids. I hate that movie so much. I put, actually, I put that on yesterday. Because I was on, I was just, like, had Disney Plus just on my TV and I didn't want to go through the bother of changing what <laughs> service it was on there. So I was like, what's on? What's on? And I had Bambi on for a while, and that's a really short movie, so finish that. I, I was doing it while I was typing up all of this stuff, and Bambi's just a really good movie to have on the background, because it's, like, all music, and it's just, yeah. like... Mm. But then I put Little Mermaid on, and I just got very angry, and I had to turn it off. <laughs> yeah, so it's not that stupidness. Tyson tells Percy that Poseidon won't let him participate in the battle, and he's been stuck in the forges... Fixing the warrior's broken weapons, which makes him sad, but it's probably safer. Mm -hmm. And they find a sign at the top of this temple that he's turned into a command center, standing around a map of the palace and the ocean with several other people. And there's a merman with two tails instead of one, which is awesome. An old man with a beard and gray hair. A beautiful woman in armor who has horns like crab claws and a dolphin. Nothing special about the dolphin, except that it's also staring at the map as if it can read it. So the old man is actually Poseidon. And he tells the dolphin, Delphin. Delphine? Sure. To send Palaemon and his sharks to the western front, and the dolphin takes off. And Percy's like, Daddy? <laughs> I, I don't think, I think Tyson calls him Daddy. <laughs> Percy, Percy calls him Dad. <laughs> Poseidon is looking so weary and tired because he reflects the state of his realm. Yeah. And he introduces the woman as Amphitrite. Amphitrite. <laughs> she just, as, that's his wife. Amphitrite. Yeah. Amphitrite. Amphitrite yep. as his wife. Yep. But she just gives Percy a dirty look and leaves. And the two-tailed merman is Triton. Poseidon's mer son, who asks Percy sarcastically, come to help at last. As if Percy's just, like, late to the party. Yep. And Poseidon didn't specifically tell him to stay at camp. Yep. And this is, like, Triton, same guy, dad from Little Mermaid. So he's all like, you don't literally disobey me. <laughs> come on, Triton. <laughs> so Triton... But daddy, I love him. <laughs> you don't know him, child. Triton nods at Tyson with respect, because he's like, hey, you're legit. Yeah. <laughs> you fixed my sword last week. <laughs> and swims away after his mother. So Poseidon explains that the battle against Oceanus is going badly. So Oceanus was neutral in the first war against the Titans, but him picking Kronos' side is a sign that he thinks Kronos will win this time. So it's really, really bad. Yeah. 
And Oceanus has found monsters to fight on his side that even Poseidon has forgotten about because they're so old. Mm-hmm. And there's an explosion far off and Briaries appears out of the dust because, yay, still alive. Go Briaries. And Percy tells Poseidon about exploring the ship and Beckendorf dying and all that. But then he, like, looks down at the courtyard and feels bad because there's a bunch of wounded mer soldiers Yeah, in the he courtyard. sort of realizes perspective, like, Oh, Poseidon's dealing with a lot of people's deaths mm-hmm. every single day, every single moment. Yeah. And Percy has just dealt with one. And that doesn't mean that his loss means less than everybody else's. It's just... It heightens the tragedy all the more. Yeah, and I think it's also like, oh, like, I'm not the only one. Who's lost someone, which can be good and not good at the same time. Because <laughs> it's, like it's not like you want other people to have lost people, but yeah. it also is like... It gives them perspective, yeah. and that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good perspective. Right. So Poseidon assures Percy that Beckendorf died heroically, and is assures reassures him that exploding the princess Andromeda must have helped at least a little bit. Um... Percy is still particularly upset about the demigods on the ship, like the brainwashed kid. Mm-hmm. He's like, this is messed up. They died. Yeah. And Poseidon's like, well, they chose that path. There's nothing you can do about it. And Percy's just kind of like, I don't know, Pops seems pretty messed up. And Poseidon tells Percy to return to camp as his job is there. He has to help the demigods fight. He has to fulfill the prophecy. They have to prepare, you know? They got... Things to do, people mm-hmm. to see, places to be. And Tyson tries to insist that Percy can help below the surface, but Poseidon insists that he return and hear the rest of the prophecy. Capital yeah. T, capital P. His, Percy still hasn't heard it all, right. which is crazy. I uh, Nothing like waiting until the last minute, Chiron. I know, right? <laughs> so Tyson also has work to do in the forges helping arm the warriors for the ongoing battle. So Poseidon is like, all right, Perse, uh, Oceanus is approaching, and I have to go meet him in battle. Bye! <laughs> and he's like, do you still have that birthday gift from last summer? And it's the sand dollar that he gave Percy. And Percy has this sand dollar, like, strung on his necklace, his camp necklace. And Poseidon tells him that the time is coming, and that they will have a true birthday celebration next week which is a father's optimism that neither he nor his son will die in the next few days as battle (laughs) ensues in all the realms yes fabulous so poseidon's like i must assume my true godly form so percy has no choice but to be like peace pops and will the ocean currents to help him shoot toward the surface at a billion miles per hour and when he looks back he sees only flashes of green and blue as the battle continues yeah. Dun, I, dun, it's dun. sort of interesting. Like, it feels like the oceans or whatever, the battle within Poseidon's realm is in its own world. Like, mm. it, it, it's like when someone is attacking Olympus, everyone has to come and fight, including <laughs> Poseidon. And his yeah. realm has to fight on the side of Olympus. But because it's Poseidon realm that's being attacked, it's not like Olympus comes to aid them. Though Mm -hmm. Olympus does have their own things to worry about at this point. 
True. But it's like, imagine if someone was attacking Hades in the, the realm of the underworld. Who would come to Hades' aid? No one. No. <laughs> it would just be him against mm-hmm. whatever, the forces of Tartarus. But I guess they are, like, all busy. Like, the twins are off fighting and, yeah, you know, they're trying to talk to the minor gods still and mm-hmm. protect well, yeah. You know, their yeah. own places. Olympus has its own fish to fry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to be eating fish for a little bit. No? No. <laughs> well, right now, it's time for Bring on the Monsters. monsters. Are you ready? Are you yes. ready? Okay. So, <laughs> right now, so first we're going to talk a little bit about Greek fire. Just because it's not technically a monster, but you know what? It's the one that killed the most people in this chapter, so... That is true. Greek fire was an incendiary weapon used in the First Byzantine War... Or, in the First Byzantine Empire, like, warfire. Let me start over. Greek fire was an incendiary weapon used first in Byzantine warfare in 678 CE, or AD, if that helps you put it in your mental timeline. I thank you for reading that. <laughs> yeah, because I put the CE and AD just because some people learn AD, BC, and some people learn CE, whatever the other one is. I don't even know what CE means. Common era. Oh. Uh, yeah, so Greek fire was used by the Byzantines um, long, long time ago. It is a highly flammable liquid, and it's made out of secret ingredients. Literally, we do not know what it was made out of <laughs> to this day. We have theories, and I'll get into it. So if you were to see Greek fire in action, you would see fire bombs being catapulted at enemy fortifications. You would see... Um, there, were, there was one thing where they would pressurize the fire, like the Greek fire, so that it was basically a, a firework. Flame, it was a flamethrower. <laughs> and they would were using those like pressurized hosed Greek fire on enemy ships. And that so it was either catapulted or sprayed. Um seems effective. Yes, it was very effective. <laughs> um Greek fire was the most devastating weapon in all of Christendom for over seven centuries. Byzantine <laughs> Emperor Romanus II, who ruled from 959 to 963, so uh, he understood the value of Greek fire and he declared three things that must never reach foreign hands. In the Byzantine Empire. And the first one was the Byzantine Imperial Regalia. So, like, think bedazzled Pope robes. Yes. Like, an extra bedazzled Pope robes. Because I did look up what the the Byzantine (laughs) Imperial Regalia were. were, And then, like, they're fancy. (laughs) Now I want to see it. So, the other thing that they refused to, like, never reach foreign hands were any royal princesses. Don't let them marry the foreigners. But then number three was Greek fire. We don't want this devastating weapon into the hands of people who may or may not become their enemies. So in the end, the royal regalia and some of the royal princesses did end up entering entering foreign hands. But Greek fire never did. 
So the, and that's because the exact recipe of Greek fire was a super closely guarded secret and has been completely lost to history. It's believed that Greek fire was a petroleum-based mixture with quicklime, sulfur, resin, and potassium nitrate. Some scholars think that gunpowder was also added into the mix. So the process of making this deadly liquid was extremely dangerous just by having (laughs) those ingredients around. And also distilling petroleum was required a super complex technology that would be really hard for someone to replicate at that time period without yeah. already knowing what it was. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. I so, was just imagining, like, when I was reading about it, I thought it was just, like, something that Earth made up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually a real thing. And it's also, like, inspired, like, um, in Game of Thrones, they have dragon fire, which is basically Greek fire, um, and it destroys... It's the, what the main key ingredient for the Battle of the Blackwater, and that's sort of when they they use Greek fire on ships like in this. Oh. Yeah. But they also put a lot of store, store Greek fire underneath the city, and that does not end well in <laughs> Game of Thrones. Surprise. <laughs> so that is Greek fire, um, and we'll move on now to Karkinos. So, Carcinus is the giant crab that Percy defeats with a ah. stab to the belly on the Princess Andromeda. Car- cra- mm, I have no idea how to say this name. Carcinus? Carcinus? That makes more sense. Carcinus? Well, he was a monstrous crab who Percy remembered mid-fight had, defe- had been defeated by Hercules. Surprise! <laughs> so, during the second labor of Hercules, so, like, one of his, like, great stuff uh so he was set to a million i know right you don't know what it is by now you're out of luck i know and we've (laughs) talked about this specific second labor before this is when he was sent to kill the hydra so the hydra had been sent by hera and with the hopes that the monster that she had raised so the hydra would kill hercules for her but when she saw that Hercules was gaining the upper hand in the fight against the Hydra, Hera threw in Carcinus into the fight uh, so that it was now two against one. So two giant monstrous death machines versus one giant monstrous death ma- machine that is Hercules, um, son of Zeus and seemingly too stubborn to be killed. So, the idea was that introducing this second foe to the battle, Herc, Herc would get distracted trying uh, distracted by trying to kill the giant crab, uh, and the Hydra would be able to take advantage and kill the demigod. Unfortunately for Hera, and the giant crab, I suppose, <laughs> the uh, Carcinus was nowhere near as deadly and as the multi-breathing fire, uh, multi-headed fire-breathing Hydra. The the, the level (laughs) of, like, deadliness. Giant crab, fire-breathing snake. Hydra, much, much higher. (laughs) (laughs) So, Hercules was sort of just like, oh, crab? That's easy. And he jumped on the crab and smushed it. (laughs) That's it. He smushed it. He got a, he somehow got his foot over the shell and just smushed the crab to death. 
<laughs> he then immediately turned now to the horrified Hydra after watch- the Hydra watched his friend get smushed. He- Hercules killed the Hydra. Quite a, quite a fun fun quest. Um, Hera was so upset with that her plot to kill uh, kill Hercules and prove that her husband's infidelity was like a not bad thing. <laughs> she was she was very angry that her once again her attempt to kill Hercules had failed. Surprise, surprise! I know she was always a bit angry. Uh, so so she in. Recognition of the Hydra and the the giant crab's uh, great effort to try and kill Hercules, she turned them into constellations. So the Hydra became the Hydra constellation, and the uh, and Carcinus, the giant crab, became the constellation Cancer. Nice. Yeah. And also, the name Carcinus also has lived on in the fellow members of his species. Specifically, oh. it gave name to gave its name to the Carcinus mayonis. Uh, again, don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Which is known as one of the... It, it, and that species of crab is one of the most invasive species of crab in the world. And it has many different names because it's in many different places. In the British Isles, it's known as the shore crab or the green crab. In North America and South America, it's called the green crab or the European green crab. In Australia and New Zealand, it's the European green crab or the European shore crab. (laughs) (laughs) So the Carcinus maeus is uh, native to the Northeast Atlantic Ocean and Baltic Sea, and it has colonized most of the world. Uh, one could say that the sun never sets up on the Carcinius Empire. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Get it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It grows to around uh, three and a half inches and eats, eats mollusks, worms, and small crustaceans, which means that it can eat basically anything <laughs> what on a beach, you know? Like, it, it's able to do that. So it, it's, it's taking been, over the world. Yeah. Um, its invasion tactics are the same as most invasive species, uh, aquatic invasive species at least, they just end up on the hull of a ship, in the hull of the ship, where ships, the ships take in water at their ports, and then they dump, dump that water off in the port that they ended at, so that's how species move. It's bad. <laughs> That's why you're not supposed to move wood. Yeah, so Carcinus <laughs> might have gotten smushed um, by Hercules and sna- stabbed by uh, Percy, but don't worry, it's taking over the world. <laughs> so now we're talking about Creos. Creos was one of the elder titans, the son of Uranus and Gaia. He was also one of the most, or one of the least individualized of the titans. So there are not many myths that involved him. Before the Titans rule, Uranus ruled, and and like the gods after him, after them, the Titans did not like the way that their father was running things. So, led by Kronos and assisted by Gaia, uh, the five sons of Uranus ambushed their father and when he landed on Earth uh, with the mind to um, make more sons with <laughs> Gaia. <laughs> Uh, or daughters, or daughters. I don't think they really differentiated. Um, 
had a preference. So Krios, uh, it, the the children that ambushed um, Uranus, uh, were Krios, Kiosos, Hyperion, and Iapetus, and then of course Kronos. So the four that are not Kronos were posted on like the four corners, so like each grabbed a limb and pulled. <laughs> Yikes. And then Kronos uh, took his sickle and castrated. Ouch. Uranus, uh, and then continued to uh, chop the sky god into this little pieces. So, as most myths are, the location of where the four bra- brothers, uh, four brother titans, held on to their uh, father became sort of the key role, like the key to their role in the Greek pantheon. Uh, Krios uh, held the most southern point of Uranus. And as such, he became the Titan Lord of the South. He was also the Titan of the stars in the constellations. Um, and because of the constellation of Aries was so bright, it dominated the southern skies. So he took the ram as his symbol of the sacred, as his sacred animal. Hmm. And so because of that, that's why Krios has... A helmet shaped like a ram's head with horns on it, and the Titan himself was given the nickname the Ram. So unfortunately, there's not a lot to talk about him, but he he, he contributed to his father's cra- castration. So, <laughs> hurrah! Great, I guess. Yeah. So oh now we're going to be talking about. Oh my god! Oh my god! It's time to talk about the gods. So. <laughs> We're going to be talking a lot about Amphitrite. 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 Okay, so Amphitrite. <laughs> this sounds better than Amphitrite. It's just how I read it in my head the first time. I know, right? So. Amphitrite. Okay. Amphitrite is the daughter of Nereus, the old man of the sea, nice. the guy that Percy wrestled in Titan's Curse, who shape-shifted into a whole bunch of different animals. You remember what I'm talking about? Cool. So, he was. she was the daughter of Nereus, and um, Doris, who was a daughter of Oceanus, and so Amphrite was one of the Nereids, who are the nymphs of the sea. Depending on which myth you look at, there are either 50 or 100 Nereids. Either way, Amphitrite... 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 <laughs> stood out from the crowd uh, of her many sisters because she was the lead in the chorus. Because Nereids sing and dance a lot, and I'm picturing... I know we don't like Little Mermaid, but we're picturing... <laughs> I'm picturing, like, Ariel's family. They like to sing. I'm like, la ha ha uh, <laughs> um, so they're like singing underwater together to adoring crowds of fish and crustaceans and sea creatures and hi- a hidden Mickey or two and uh, mermaids and such. And it's Amphrite who is in Ariel's position of Little Mermaid, so she's the one who's coming out of the giant crab. But un- <laughs> or not crab, clamshell. Yeah. But unlike Ariel, who does not enjoy being at these all of these performances, Amphrite enjoys it. And she's makes sure to make it to every single performance that they have. 
Yeah, she is a responsible person. Nice. So, one day, Amfritriti and her sisters were singing and dancing on the island of Naxos, and Poseidon happened to be walking by and caught the performance. Poseidon was immediately in love. Of course. And he carried her off to be his bride. But other myths, as always, there's other myths, say that Amfritriti was not so easily carried off. So she wasn't all that impressed by Poseidon and his interest in her, because after all, her father is Nereus, the old man of the sea. He's been a ruler, he's been a god of the ocean long time before Poseidon entered the picture. Poseidon's just this young upstart at this <laughs> point, just like a little punk coming in <laughs> saying, I like the water. And so but so so she said no, and she she ran away. But Poseidon was not one to listen to a woman to, when she says no, uh, and so he chased after her. But really, specifically, he he got his his people, he got his subjects to keep an eye out and tell him where Infritriti uh, is, and he'll go her. and find them. So. In this version, Amphitrite tried to flee from Poseidon and tried to hide him in the, by or Amphitrite fled from Poseidon and tried to hide from him by escaping to the extreme depths of the ocean. But Poseidon, with all of his the sea creatures at his command, uh, was able to locate her without problem. In this version, he uh, sent a band of dolphins. Basically, there was a band of dolphins out looking around, sort of like, oh, if we find him free tree tree, that'll be awesome. It'll put us on the good side of Poseidon. They find her. They basically keep her. They hold her prisoner uh, until Poseidon can come and find her and collect her and they get married and hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. <laughs> Maybe in a positive reading of that, and Fritriti was convinced by uh, yeah. Poseidon's subjects' blind loyalty. <laughs> um, but uh, hurrah! <laughs> but in another myth, Fritriti fled from the protection, or fled Poseidon into the protection of Atlas in order to hide from him. But again, Poseidon sent his subjects out to find her, and this time a dolphin found her and pleaded Poseidon's case to her. He explained that. And when I say he, I'm talking about the dolphin. The dolphin <laughs> explained that Poseidon, like all of the gods up from his generation, had no, no pa- positive male or female role models growing up. And they got eaten at a very young age, so they had no <laughs> idea how to, like, do anything. Um, he, he didn't know how to flirt. He wasn't really... In, he, and, like, Poseidon was, like, really into you, man, I swear. He just doesn't know... How to say things. Um, yeah, Poseidon's a real nice guy. He's cool. He's really nice to the dolphins. who make a great king for you. And free 2 tv And imagine a dolphin saying that name. It would be... <laughs> it's like they already sound like they say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So she's all like, okay, I'll give him a chance. Yeah, eventually she's sort of won over and 
is convinced that Poseidon would be a good guy. That's so, a better version than her having Stockholm Syndrome. It really is. It's a much better version. So, M. Fritri is convinced of Poseidon's potentiality to be a good guy, or potential to be a good guy, and agrees to marry him of her own free will. Poseidon was so grateful to the dolphin <laughs> who pleaded his case, he named him Delphine. Uh, and made him the god of the dolphins. Nice. He also put a depiction of him in the night sky with a constellation called Delphine. <laughs> <laughs> so Amphitrite and Poseidon had three children together. Get ready for this name. Benthesimini. Benthesimini. Sure. <laughs> Benthesisimi, Rode, and Triton. Unfortunately for Benthesisimi, and gratefully for, like, our mouths, um, the myths don't really say anything exciting about her other than that she is a child of Poseidon. But her name means Lady of the Deep, of Deep Swells because she is the god, uh, is a goddess of the ways. Um, Rode also, like, she's a little bit better remembered, but... It's a female character in Greek mythology. Unfortunately, they're not extremely well remembered. Um, but Rhode is sort of remembered more because Apollo fell in love with her and named the island Rhodes after her. Uh, however, Rhodes married Helios and had seven sons and one daughter, and Apollo was never really in her picture. Poor Apollo. Triton is the best remembered of the legitimate children of Poseidon. So Triton is half man, half fish, and he's normally seen as the uh, the herald or messenger of his father. He has the power to calm the seas using a conch shell. Uh, he also was able to use that conch shell to instill fears in, fear into his enemies. And some myths say that he used his mighty conch. Conch. <laughs> to frighten the giants during their war with the Olympians. Triton also, er, Triton even helps out Jason and the Argonauts. While, while on their travels, the Argonauts were hit by a giant tidal wave, carrying, and that wave carried the ship inland, and they found themselves in a lake, Lake Tritonus to be exact. So the Argonauts searched for days trying to find a route back to the sea, but they had no luck. They couldn't How big figure. is this lake? I, I, I guess it's big. <laughs> I don't know. But Triton was probably a little bit annoyed that these guys were just here polluting up his lake that's named after him, but <laughs> also wanted to help him. He was feeling a little bit generous, so he said, I'll help you out, Argonauts. Um, so... He disguised himself as a mortal man, and he showed the Argonauts a route that would take them back to the sea. And some myths say that Triton even pushed the shift along the land all the way back to the sea. So that would be intense. He portaged their ship. Yes. All the way back to the sea. (laughs) Yes. Are you ready for quest queries? Yeah. Are you going to click on that link? Sure. (laughs) <laughs> so early in this section, Percy says somebody... I think it's the 
He says that the Telkahines are some something that belongs on UglyFace.com. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I took the time and effort to look up UglyFace.com. It is a real <laughs> website. There is nothing on it. But you can buy UglyFace.com as your <laughs> own website name if you call 1-561-898-0724. I'm going to check in on this website in a few weeks after this episode goes out. And I really hope someone buys it. <laughs> we shall see. That would be exciting. Um, do you think Rachel has any friends that she can talk to other than Percy? No. I don't think so. That was... I, was that my question? I don't yeah, know. I think it was yours. I think it was my question. Um, well, I don't know. She has her drama club friends. Yeah. I think, like, she probably has, like, friends. Like, she has people that she talks to, but I don't think she talks to them about her parents. Yeah. It was just seeing how uh, Rachel... Um, Talks about her dad with Percy and Annabeth and all of them. It took a very long time and True. a lot of high-stress situations um, for her to even open up. True. So I doubt that she has friends. It's that... not like she can talk to her mortal friends about her Seeing initiation monsters. into this new world. Yeah. Yeah. So she probably just likes hanging out with Percy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like Percy's one of the only people that she... Feels like she can talk to that will not think that she's crazy. Mm-hmm. What does a half blood smell like? Nico smells like death. <laughs> Poor Nico. I know. That's so sad. <laughs> it's like, like the Tuckahines, they saying, oh yeah, the half bloods are coming or whatever. We can smell them. But then they said, like, oh, they, you just smelled like a meat sam- <laughs> meatloaf sandwich. So maybe, like, they just can smell the godly blood in them. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe Percy smells like sea salt and And sand. what Annabeth <laughs> smells like dictionaries and book dust. Yeah. And what other Paper. Like, um Beckendorf smells like oil and grease. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Talia smells like you know, like dry, staticky air. You know and yeah. I mean that, like, sensation when you walk into somewhere and it's like, ooh, if I touch one thing, I'm going to yeah. get shocked. <laughs> yeah. Um, how would Poseidon look in the current with the current state of our oceans? Poor. Sad. Really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he would... I think... I don't know. Maybe he has to change his appearance directly to what is happening to his castle? I don't know. He says he reflects the state of his realm, so aren't the oceans his realm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're full of plastic. Stop using plastic! I think he would be very close to having a all-out land war. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna start reclaiming some space. Recycle, people. Yeah. Reduce, reuse, recycle. It's the three R's. <laughs> Smoky Bear will thank you. Anyway, that brings us to the end of this wild roller coaster of an episode. Yeah. We're glad to be back. We're glad you guys are still listening. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at floor underscore 600, Tumblr at floor 600 podcast. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash floor 600 to help us improve this podcast, get some cool perks. And as always, rate, review, subscribe. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Yeah.
Bye. Bye.